And welcome to the Two Medics podcast. Just a quick shout out to our sponsors, mah.uk.com for medical accountancy needs and also to lifelinehealthcaregroup.co.uk for the best locum rates. Well, hello and welcome to the One Medic, One Mike podcast. Yeah, that's what I'm doing now. So, um, well, this kind of feels really awkward to explain because, you know, what can I say? This is going to look really bad. The last last week's episode we was delayed and then this week's episode's also kind of delayed and it kind of makes it look... And then we missed a week. It just makes it look like, I don't know, me and Imran are falling out and stuff. And um, I, I do really you know, want to put it out there that that's really um, not true and our relationship couldn't be healthier. But anyway, it's just me, Thirushigan Wardner, the cardiology registrar with a special interest in intervention, me by myself, solo. Now, the reason for it is um, basically we had a guest on who uh, was really awesome. It's a good episode, I think. Um, but, you know, we have this kind of policy whereby... We let the guests kind of have a listen and make sure they're completely happy with it before we put it out there and um, problems with the editor and stuff. And basically, we just haven't got the final okay on it yet. So I thought I'd record my, well, you know, I'd do a recording, but Imran's doing an on-call. So then he was like, why don't you do it yourself? And I'm like, lots of reasons why I don't want to do it myself. But he was like, I really can't do it with you. And we wanted to put something out there, you know, a show of strength. So here I am just talking to myself. I'm wearing headphones, which is really weird. Like, what's the point in wearing headphones? I'm not listening to myself. So what Who am I, what am I expecting to happen back through these headphones? I don't know. Um, but I'm doing it. Maybe to make, it makes me feel like in some way Imran is there on the other side, just listening to one of my diatribes. And, you know, it, it can make it feel a bit more normal. But no, it's just me. So um, here, here, here goes. Um, there are a few topics to talk about this week. Oh, it's been a, it's been a really you know uh, big week. Actually, today I'm not going to be talking about loads and loads of med Twitter topics because there there is stuff that we've gone over with our guest. Um, so there are a few other things to kind of go over. I mean, one thing that we didn't really touch upon in this in the kind of new episode that's coming out very soon is about industrial action, which is a massive topic. And I guess it's because we figure that it's going to be something that we talk about a lot. Um, over the next kind of couple months it's obviously like in the back of people's minds I think at the moment um, because we're kind of looking with interest at the current industrial action that's going on at the moment Mick Lynch is doing an amazing job isn't he like this amazing kind of poster boy for uh, industrial action he's just kind of put across this face of someone who knows what they're talking what they're talking about and just is completely annihilating the media that, um, well, the kind of odd media questions, really. I don't want to be that kind of person who's like, oh, the media, the media is the worst. But sometimes, like, I mean, kind of looking at some of the questions they ask and stuff, I'm like, oh, whose side are they on? Like, um, one of the things that really seems to bug me, I think, with the kind of RMT strikes is when people are like, oh, doctors and nurses aren't going to be able to, you know, get to their place of work. And I'm like, mate, keep... Keep us out of it. I mean, inconvenient, but 
like you know fully support them like everyone's everyone finds this whole kind of situation awful everything's you know pays stagnation is awful and meanwhile you know there are people you know the the rail companies for example i guess are the ones that are collected you know they had dividends that went out to shareholders and um, people are losing jobs like this is unacceptable and doctors and nurses are um you know all the ones i've spoken to are in support of the you know the the strikes We want better conditions for people, especially with the kind of cost of living crisis. So kind of using those professions as a, as an, as some kind of, oh, you should, you know, you should feel bad for them. No, mate, we support them. But isn't he doing such a great job? Um, just kind of portraying, portraying the, the rationale for the strikes in the media. It's amazing, really. And I really hope that when it comes round to the BMA, that uh, we have you know, a similar kind of beacon of kind of uh, truth and clarity comes through. Um, I think the BMA have had some figureheads who have been kind of quite positive. And I think as time's gone on, we can see that um, with the recent BMA campaigns and uh, the ballots, I think there are lots of different kind of characters that I've noticed, maybe, you know, through social media anyway, that seem to be quite quite um i don't want to say the word articulate because that sounds so patronizing but just kind of well organized and well put together in terms of uh what they um what they want um i think there was that whole thing wasn't there on reddit where a junior doctors reddit where they kind of made out that there was this kind of nefarious community of junior doctors who were um put who were organized and trying to shift the bma towards paper paper you know pay protection and uh the 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 vote for um uh the a pay rise in in keeping with inflation and uh, people i think i think it was in the media it was in the papers wasn't it where they uh suggested that this was kind of a bit clandestine but in reality People need to be organized. People need to kind of get together and, uh, you know, loads of people in agreement that even though our pay is 30% less than what it would have been um, years ago, <clears throat> like we're not 30% less in terms of what we're doing and our value as doctors. So, you know, not, it doesn't add up. And I think it's, you know, it's so great to see that people are organized and um, are kind of push, are pushing this. So, I'm not going to say exciting times, but at least I think there's some comfort in knowing that there are people who are going to push back because it's ridiculous, isn't it, really? Um, I think there there were a few tweets. Oh, I've got to be careful about what I say, right? Because one of the one of the people who kind of, I don't know, tweeted with this kind of Henry-like thing about how like you know um strikes are bad for patients well the strikes in 2016 went went okay didn't they i mean um i did them i strike striked stroked i don't know what the word is but i did it um it was weird it was weird though doing it like turning up and then people were like you know because i guess because we don't strike much like it's hard to know what the etiquette is like are you supposed to like turn up i mean they said turn up in your work clothes 
And I was like, oh, maybe I'll wear scrubs. And, you know, people with their stethoscopes on outside. And so that is always something that kind of makes me feel a little bit cringy, like, you know, wearing your stethoscope. Like, oh, look at me, I'm a doctor. You know, like, when you're an F1 and you, you basically want any excuse to let anyone know you're a doctor. Whereas I always find that a little bit cringe. So when people ask me what I do, and if I can get away with it, I'll say, like, I work in a hospital. I mean, that's completely transparent, though, isn't it? I work in a hospital. But that's generally what I say, because I'm like, oh, I'll have to... But, but for a time, certainly, being a doctor was my, com- you know, complete identity. It, it was, that was it. Like, that was the only interesting, I felt anyway, that was the only interesting thing about myself. Even though, I mean, as, in, as I've gotten older, I realised that, you know, there, especially from kind of social media and stuff, I realised that actually there's lots of things that I have in common with other people that, you know, things I'm passionate about, whether it's kind of comic books, football or you know, movies or weird TV shows, reading or whatever, reading, oh my God, reading, like you put that on your CV. But anyway, you know, whatever. But I think back then when I became an F1, like being a doctor was like a massive part of my identity. Um, you know, changed my bank account straight away to, I, I like changed my, um, my debit card, like my debit card to say doctor but it was still a student account. So it'd be like Dr. Thrushigan Wardner, but on the card, it'd literally say student account. It's like, mate, can you not get rid of that a little bit? Because I find that a little bit undermining, but no. So I uh, found I had that. But anyway, it said DR, so wicked. But um, it was like such a big part of my personality then. But um, I guess now, why is it not now? I don't know. Is it Twitter? No, maybe it's being a dad or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that like I guess when people have like summed up my Twitter account anyway they're like it's the dad thing isn't it I mean I found actually that most yeah I'm sure I've said this like a million times before but whenever I think I'm like tweeting something funny and it does nothing and then it's like and then I tweet something about Lil's like cussing me and then it seems to do numbers um speaking of kind of Lil's I guess oh like an excuse to get Lil's in here but um there is a show that I desperately wanted to be able to watch with her, Miss Marvel. Guys, like, if you've not seen, if you've not seen that, I can I can understand why you wouldn't do. I like um, the trailers and stuff make it seem like a kind of kids show, which it kind of is. So Miss Marvel is uh, on Disney Plus. It's oh, this sounds like a, a plug, but it's not. It's just a show that I really like, um, and it's based on this character called Kamala Khan, and uh, she's like a, a high school girl. She's a Muslim girl growing up in America and uh, her idol is Captain Marvel so when she when she develops superpowers she calls herself Miss Marvel you know in honor and in fact at the bit in the, in the first couple of episodes of the show she's basically dressed up as Captain Marvel but the show is really awesome it's really good like a lot of those Disney shows I don't know they've been a bit hit and miss but I like how they've kind of gone against the grain and one of the really good things about this show is that um it kind of portrays like the just the normality of uh, being a Muslim. I mean, I'm not a Muslim. My my family are Sri Lankan and they're Buddhist, but it's just really nice to see like a completely different slant of Islam. Like just having like an Islamic family and then just being normal, like just doing like normal stuff, like going to mosque or whatever. And it's just like so nice. It's so awesome. Um, and one of the other things I thought was quite cool about the show is, so she has superpowers and one of the tropes, I guess they could kind of follow 
would be that um you know like her parents would be really oppressive and not letting her out but they they actually say something along the lines of we're actually really cool with you we're just worried about everyone else i'm like oh wow so they didn't even like play the kind of overbearing asian parent thing which would be so easy to do they didn't do that and, and it's it's so good seriously like um and not just like as a brown person like i think um if any of you out there really liked uh, into the spider-verse it kind of reminds me a lot of that like quite comic-y and just a quite cool kind of soundtrack loads of color it's awesome really um so I do recommend it i think one of the things that's kind of hamstrung it is it coming out at the same time as obi-wan uh, which is now finished and i think i saw i saw um a tweet today that suggested that i think this marvel's like the highest rated show on disney plus now now that obi-wan's finished Obi-Wan, I think, is one of those things that was like purely for Star Wars fans. Um, and I think the ending was really, really awesome. But like, it's one of those things that's kind of hard to sell to anyone who's not into Star Wars. So I won't. But um, now that that's out the way, you guys all got to watch uh, Miss Marvel. I think it's kind of a bit like Shang-Chi, you know, that, sh- that film. So I feel like that got kind of critically panned or whatever by uh, to begin with. And then people were like, actually, this is a really cool so this is a really cool movie and it's got really cool music. And DMZ do or something like that, don't they? Anyway, it's really good. Um, and I think it's I think Miss Marvel will be a bit like that. So you want to get ahead of the curb. You want to be like, you know, like Breaking Bad. Um, you know, like when it was kind of on TV and, you know, you want to be like, oh, yeah, like I watched it before it got cool. If you want to be in on that, then Miss Marvel, you got to do that. Anyway. Oh, my God. So I was just thinking... Um, one of the other things that I want to talk oh gosh I'm like jumping around a topic see now this wouldn't happen if Imran was here but um, there was like a kind of uh, a back and forth today about which I was watch- I was kind of watching with interest between two cardiology consultants so I was a bit like oh should I get involved I don't know so it's between Nishat uh, Siddiqui and Mark Signy, both cardiology consultants and they were talking about the Labour Party I guess because you know with these strikes and stuff uh, the aim is either to get the government to cave, which they probably won't, or a change of government to get public support. And uh, I think they were arguing about the kind of viability of the Labour Party as like an alternative. And people were saying, oh, wait. And this like this this age old thing is where like people who who, you know, talk about alternatives to the Tories just kind of go in like this little circle. And it's kind of funny because what ends up happening is we just people just end up arguing amongst themselves about these kind of minutiae. And I think that's one thing that kind of conservative people, and I mean conservatives in general, like Republicans or whatever too, they kind of seem to coalesce about, you know, they have their own kind of stinky ideas and they're happy to accept other people's stinky ideas if they get what they want. Whereas I think kind of with kind of more left-leaning people, they're a bit less, obviously less compromising because they're like, no, you need to stand up for this and you need to stand for this. And I think if you, you know, if you want to stand for something, it's much less compromising than the kind of stinky you know, the stinky people who are like, oh, no, let's let's um, ban abortion and or let's kind of um, get uh, let's be horrible to immigrants. You know, they're, they're very happy kind of um, sh- sharing a bed with kind of other people with horrible, horrible ideas. They're much more, you know, um, I saw Pete Turton had, had done a tweet. Oh, no, was it Pete? No, it was Minna, I think. He'd done a tweet saying um, that conservative. Oh, no, and he was tweeting a Daily Mail article about how people who tend to vote more conservatively in inverted commas tend to be less intelligent, which I think is a bit of a, like, low blow, because, well, 
I mean, it's, in, it's obvious, isn't it? If you say someone's less intelligent, then it's not very nice. It's not very nice, is it? But I think the point is, is that it's funny that the Daily Mail had like written an article about it, and somebody said this is a bit of a conservative cell phone because isn't that exactly your base? But I don't know. Oh, I think they called it a controversial article. They're like, it's controversial that we might be stupid. Although I remember, so I've got a mate who is, I've got a mate, I've got a friend, one friend who um, works for a tabloid. No, he doesn't work for a tabloid. He's got friends, a mate of a mate. Oh, gosh, this is getting really tenuous. Why am I even doing this? It's 15 minutes in. Are you even still listening anymore? Oh, God, thank you if you are, but I don't know why. Uh, anyway, he was saying about how a lot of the people who work for these kind of massive, these kind of uh, tabloid newspapers, they're all kind of public school boys, public private school boys. And uh, God, the fact that I called it a public school boy, I just kind of gave myself up there. But anyway, these, they're all private school boys and they're right, they write in a particular way whereby they are being completely patronising and they're like, we know what we're aiming at. We're aiming at stupid people. So we're going to write in a stupid way. And they're just having a wicked, ty- wicked time of it because they're just, they're playing a game. And I think that in itself is kind of a bit insulting, but... Um... Yeah, that's the way the situation is. And so that article from the Daily Mail made me kind of feel a bit like, oh, yeah, okay. But, you know, and then people come come back with, oh, you know, you need to kind of see it from their point of view. And if you're just going to look down on them, the woke brigade, brigade and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you have to see it from their point of view, even though it's just completely bigoted and hateful. You know, you need to kind of get them to come around to it, even though they're being completely bigoted and hateful. And it's like, oh, just... Oh you know, always have to kind of find the kind of middle ground, even though the middle ground might be a bit racisty, but oh, and it's, uh, it kind of takes me back to that conversation that was happening between those two cardiology consultants, so Nishat Siddiqui and Mark Signy, where they were talking about the Labour Party and Nishat was saying, well, you know, there's issues of Islamophobia that I'm not happy with. And you know, not happy with Keir Starmer's leadership. And then she compared, like, so I was a bit like, oh, you know, I kind of see Keir Starmer as a bit like a bit of ginger. You know, when you're having sushi, is this, a, this is a bit of a, this is a bit of a first world flex, isn't it? Oh, you know, when you're having sushi, you know, can you imagine, you know, the, just the, those times when you're having sushi? It's a bit of a flex, isn't it? But basically, you know, when, when you're having sushi, I didn't realise that the ginger, like for ages, um, I didn't realise that the ginger was like a palate cleanser. You're supposed to have that in between the bits of um, sushi. So I didn't realize, so I'd be putting ginger on top of the sushi and eating it like an idiot. So I'd be. I remember once actually going to quite a posh restaurant in in London as a as a student. So this is four hundred years ago now, I guess. But and then putting ginger on top of sushi and probably not even realizing that I was getting dirty looks and people being like, what's this guy? What is this guy? What is this guy doing? Oh my gosh! Oh, he's putting wasabi on as well. Ah! we've cut that fish up and that fish has been anyway so uh, so anyway i compared him to ginger whereby you're cleansing the palate of whatever's happened before letting boris just completely implode and take the tory party down and labor will be kind of like vanilla just bland whatever so that they just seem vaguely competent because they're not incompetent in the same way that boris is just kind of horrendous and stuff so just don't say anything and let them destroy themselves and that's what i compared ginger him to and then michelle was like i actually quite like ginger and then she compared him to potato like a boiled potato and i was like 
I mean, this seems, this is a bit of a, this is terrible. This is terrible. I'm talking about vegetables randomly. But anyway, look, I just feel like it gave potatoes a bad rap. And I just wanted to stand up for potatoes for a little while and say, look, a potato is a really, um, (laughs) it's just a really versatile vegetable. Oh my God, what am I doing? What am I doing? The podcast, like like, nobody's going to listen anymore. But anyway, look, I wanted to stand up for potatoes and compare him to a different type of vegetable. And I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, what's like a kind of bland vegetable that you know is just a bit terrible and i was like cucumber like cucumber's just so i mean what is like what is the point of it it's just kind of a filler in salad but then i'm like actually it tastes really quite nice in the gin and tonic so i don't want to compare them to cucumber and i find it really different and then i settled on green beans which i think are just completely just a complete waste of time really but then my parents do make a really nice green bean curry but the fact of the matter is it's only nice because the curry's nice so in summary, Keir Starmer is a bit like a green is a bit like green beans because he's just just a bit of waste. But the thing that really gets on my nerves, and I feel like it's not really said enough, is the hate that Diane Abbott gets. She literally, I mean, she she studied history at Cambridge, so that in itself is a crazy achievement, right? But let's be honest, people give her a hard time because of like some interview, like you like I can't, I don't even know what interview it's about. But some interview where she got some maths wrong, she got some numbers wrong. And people have cussed her down ever since then, basically because of this this interview, that this car crash interview. But so she had that and there was something where she had like a gin and tonic on her tube. Like, who can blame her? Like, you know, if you've been on the, the Northern Line in a rush hour, like, I, I don't blame her for opening up a tinny. But this, this kind of, hot, let's be honest, like the behaviour towards her is just completely next level. And... Are completely unreasonable if you think about all the kind of bonkers stuff that boris johnson comes with or like that weird kind of uh, conference there was liz trust you remember that one where she's like talking about cheese and she's like pausing for laughter and like nothing it's just so cringe but none of that and people are talking about liz trust like she's going to be some amazing next conservative leader yeah i do sometimes look on the tory subreddit and that's what i see and oh god why do i do that why do I hate myself so much? Anyway, okay, let's move on. I talk about medic stuff, Trisha. Come on, rein it in, rein it in. Okay, so there was a tweet of an email uh, that was about a Zoom teaching. And in red, it said that it was mandatory that you have the camera on. And uh, people understandably were a bit upset about that because, I mean, being having to show your face in the teaching, well, I mean, I can see why there'd be issues with it if you're, I mean, I'm like quite shy and I also have like a really expressive face. And so there's that. And also like the feeling that, that even like right now the camera's on and I'm aware of it. I'm staring at myself and I'm like, your face looks really weird. Like I'm thinking in my head whilst I'm talking, I'm like, your face looks really weird. Like you've got like this kind of bulbous bit on your nose. And so like, how are you going to, const- if you're like a narcissist like me and they're teaching, you're just going to be, you're not going to be looking at everyone else's faces you're gonna be looking at your own so this person's like oh you know like i want to see your face i want to see you like interact and stuff and see you engaging they're not engaging me they're looking at their own reflection you know it's like when you look at a photo of like a group of people you don't look at everyone else do you You look at yourself and you're like, oh my god i look terrible on that one that's all you're thinking about you don't care about everyone else in like background it's like being in front of the eiffel tower you're like yeah you, know, you want to see how you look in front of the eiffel tower you don't care about anyone else and so I kind of wonder, like, if that, if being able to see their mug 
<laughs> during the teaching really does make that much difference. I mean, yeah, okay, fine. They might not even be paying attention, but if they're not really paying attention, they've got their and they've got their camera off. I just, I just don't know. Like, if they're not that interested, I'm not sure they're going to really engage with you so much more if their camera's on. They're just going to be like, oh, this is boring. But you'll be able to see the boredom on their face. I guess there's that. So that's, that's kind of, yeah. Um, but then I, I guess like there are a few reasonable people, you know, reasonable people, uh, you know, people that I, I identify with. It's funny, isn't it, about Twitter? And like, there are people who are like, oh, when they, when they come out with something, and even if it's contrary to your view, you're like, I respect their opinion. So therefore, I will take that on board. And basically, I saw an account, I think it was Tom Knowles, and he was talking about doing the Zoom t- teaching and how difficult it is. And we've done, I've done it before. And if you don't get any kind of feedback, it is a bit like this, doing a podcast by yourself where you're just talking and talking and talking. You're like, is anyone listening? Is there any point? Shall I just stop recording right now? Why am I wearing headphones? You know, that kind of thing. And I guess they're probably thinking exactly the same thing. I'm just not sure if having people having their cameras on helps that much. And certainly sending them an email where you write in red that it's mandatory is going to improve engagement much at all really i mean i think i mean there are certain there are certain types of video chats where um being able to see someone's face is probably a bit more you know might pay a bit extra for it like only fans or something but really i think my problem is is that People will just be able to, they'll be able to see how confused I look. I mean, the thing is, is that actually I'm not confused, but people will look at me and they'll be like, oh, you look really confused. But I'm like, that's just my general facial expression. I get that so much. Oh, you look lost. No, no, that's just, that's how I look. I've worked here, worked here for ages. Oh, but one thing I also do think that kind of the camera thing makes a bit awkward is, you know, putting your hand up. Because obviously, like on Zoom now, you can put your hand up thing. There's a button, isn't there? You can press and your hand goes up. But then when you're... (laughs) <laughs> when your camera's on do you do you put your hand up as well also like at school there was that whole thing wasn't there where you put your hand up but you know people would do a thing where they'd have their like finger up in the air like they're holding the number one one up did you do that were you a, like one person you know one finger up or were you like a whole hand up i used to always struggle with the etiquette of that because i didn't really know what the one meant but people were doing the one so i'd do the one but then i was like oh why am i doing the one so I'd kind of, my hand, I think, would oscillate between the two. And then can you remember those kids who'd have the hand up, but they'd be holding their hand up for a while, so they'd have the other hand on the elbow to support that hand up to illustrate that they'd been holding their hand up for a long time. You don't really get that nuance, do you, with Zoom? You just have that button that you click. So I guess if your Zoom camera's on, you can have your hand up and stuff. But that would look really weird to the wife and children who are kind of playing in the background, trying not to make too much noise. Mm. yeah conundrum uh, you know answers on a postcard if anyone's listening to this i don't blame you for not uh, but if you are thank you for supporting me you know i love you anyway so a few other things um that i wanted to talk about um oh so km karen she uh she was tweeting in support of the strikes um i think so fire firemen fire people fire people uh, also think they're balloting for strikes too. Isn't that brilliant? Everyone's just getting organized. I love it. Love that energy. And then there are people, so I think um, my favorite, um, some of my favorite accounts, so Minna and Tech Priest were kind of having a little back and forth about 
whether the Tories, whether all of this stuff that's going on is kind of deliberate ignorance or if it's kind of, it's all kind of orchestrated. You know, um, there was, um, was it, um, what's his surname? I better look it up so I get it right. Um, it was, oh my gosh, where is it? Oh, Imran, are you going to cut out the gap here? No, you're not, because we don't have a lot of time and times. Time whilst being of the essence is in short supply. Um, oh gosh, anyway, it's not there. Roger Bold, I think his name is Bold, B-A-U-L-D. Um, he had said something along the lines of, oh, you know, because people often say, don't they, the Tories are terrible, but people often, they often misidentify um, or mis, um, attrib- misattribute um, kind of a planned, orchestrated, malign behaviour when it's actually just ignorance. But I actually think it's malign behaviour. Like these guys, they have loads of money and loads of cronies and people to pay, you know, for like PR and you know they they've got their hands kind of everywhere in the media and whatever. Like we we know that's true. Um, so I just find it completely kind of just un, it's just a non-starter that, that this is that it's kind of ignorant. And I, their conversation was about whether the strikes will kind of bring about changes in the Tory party, Tory policy. Um, but you can kind of see the kind of sound bites that are out there. Um, oh, you know, really disappointed oh, um, in these people and that people um, for, for kind of considering strikes and stuff. I think they're kind of solicitors and stuff too, for considering striking. I just think the kind of the, the language that's coming out suggests to me that it's not going to get anywhere with this current uh, government. Anyway, so, um, gosh, a bit bleak. Shall I go over like bleak stuff first? Get the bleak stuff out of the way. So I saw a tweet today from Asim Rahman. Asim Rahman. And it said, last day of GP life for me. Bittersweet, but glad I'm leaving my surgery in a good place. Dr. Rahman out. Um, and this is about a GP. He just kind of said he'd been he spent seven years as a GP partner, 16 years as an NHS doctor coming to an end. And he talked about how he's going to miss the patients and stuff. And he said... This is an important line here. I'm a good GP, but over the last few years, I've become an expert in working the systems and pathways for the good of my patients, rather than being an expert on my patients. And I can see what he means, right? Because, like, if you think about what makes a good junior doctor, or at least in the eyes of everyone else, it's about who gets that scan. And I guess these are kind of surrogate endpoints, aren't they? Surrogate endpoints. They're not necessarily directly to do with patient contact per se right because a a kind of public perspective of what's a good doctor is who's kind of nice who explains things well you know who's kind of considerate and kind of like updates us on stuff as well as all the other things like getting the scan done quickly and kind of being good at doing a procedure and reassuring and uh, kind of taking into account their cares and concerns but you know if you think about what gets rewarded as a junior doctor, it's mainly, it's the other stuff, isn't it? It's kind of, if you get those discharge letters kind of done quickly, it's a, it's about kind of the transit of a person through the hospital, um, which is really one small, fa- is a facet of the patient experience, an important one, right? People don't want to be in hospital or people don't want to, you know, ha- suffer with their kind of medical conditions for a long period of time. So, you know, you can see the focus of it. We can see the point, like, that uh, obviously this drive, there is this drive to kind of, get people through the system as quickly as possible. And it really does kind of take away the kind of one of the best bits about being a doctor. 
But this chap, anyway, he's also the academy academy doctor at Leicester City Football Club. So he's obviously got that to fall back on. He's kind of given up on the NHS. And I guess this is probably something that we're going to see more and more of. And more fire to him. You've got to do, you know, you've got to pick the course in life that kind of fits with you and your happiness. And obviously, you know, it's very evident how awful it is for GPs, GPs and how it has been for some time. I mean, even before COVID and stuff, even this is simply the fact of kind of a 10 minute consultation. That is still like blows my mind. Like if you think about like the amount of time it takes for a person to like walk into a room, like how long that takes. And if you've got 10, that, that, and introducing yourself or whatever, like introducing myself is probably about 10 minutes. So <laughs> amazing, really. Um, other thing, oh, so, I mean, this is going to turn into stuff that I want to complain about. Um, so basically kind of moving on to a new rotation, they got my, uh, they got my salary wrong. And so I got an email from medical staffing to say, oh, we got your salary wrong. You'll be pleased. To... Well, I don't think they actually said you'll be pleased to hear. We're so sorry you got your salary wrong. You're actually supposed to be paid more. So that will happen next month and you'll get some back pay. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to get some back pay. Well, of course, I ended up being paid less than the month before because I got taxed by HMRC. Oh my God. And then, you know, you can call H- call up HMRC and they'll be like, oh yeah, you'll get it. You know, you'll, don't worry about it. You'll get it back as a rebate in like a year's time. I'm like, hey, I want the money now. I want the money now. It's, it's Life is expensive right now. Future me is he's he you know he's got he doesn't exist yet there's me now me now oh god anyway um and then oh so there's another tweet that i wanted to mention which i think is pretty kind of i guess this would have been a good one for if Imran was here because i think we both do it the word bro will never be removed from my vocabulary i'm 38 years old and i still say bro man i still say bro i still say mate and I can't help it. And the thing is, is that that's not a word that I kind of grew up using as a child. I think I got that from school, like from boys' school. But I'm still, you know, I'm like 20 years down the line from boys' school and I'm still saying bro. In fact, sometimes when I take a referral, I'll be like, bro, I'll be mate. And it's completely genderless. In fact, I'm pretty sure I've called Joe bro. Hmm. What is that about? I don't know. I like it though. I think it's kind of in. I think it's kind of you know, one of those things where it shows people I'm real at least. Maybe is it? Or does it annoy people? You know, being that kind of is it a bit flippant? I don't know, but I do think is there a time? Is there a time of life whereby bro, it just becomes a bit unacceptable to use use the term the term endearingly, bro? I don't know. Um, there was like a time when one of the, my work colleagues, he decided he was going to post about the complication. And I'm sure I mentioned this before, actually, you know, and he kind of decided it was, it was funny to like banter a colleague about a complication she'd had. And I was like, bro, that's not cool. He's like, don't call me bro. And I was like, mate, that's, that's not the point. That's not what I was talking about. But he went off on the bro thing. So the bro thing can come up and bite you, I guess. So I don't know what the moral of that story is. Anyway, a few other things. I mean, so this is, don't worry, this is not going to be like an hour long because, you know. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about this book I'm reading at the moment, which I really recommend, called David and Goliath, and it's by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, I think he's quite a good author. It's quite interesting. He seems to kind of, so his his shtick seems to be kind of like 
science communication but kind of social sciences so like psychology and stuff so I read his his last book talking to strangers which was really interesting which is about kind of how we how we judge strangers how you know the impressions that we form of them and how quickly we form them and how inaccurate they are and that kind of thing um it was a, re- it was a really good book what, one interesting fact from that book anyway was um you know, like the uh, judges and how they pass sentences to people. And we kind of imagine judges to be, you know, great at kind of like weighing up evidence and kind of passing sentences that seemed appropriate. And this, um, so one of the points was about judges and how um, they were able to kind of weigh up a person's story and pass a sentence that was appropriate and whether they were likely, whether the people that they're passing sentences for were more likely to reoffend, And if they're able to kind of predict who's more likely to reoffend? And they compared that to, there was a study which compared that, judges, to a computer algorithm that simply looked at people's previous offences. And of course, the computer was way better at, uh, at predicting when a person was more likely to reoffend than a judge was. And the reason for that was that all the computer algorithm did was if a person reoffended many more times before, they were more likely to offend again. That's the algorithm that it applied. Whereas the judges would take into account people's stories and their feelings and the way they looked at a person. And that's full of prejudices. And they get it wrong. Um, And it's just really interesting because one of the take-home messages that I got from that book is that people are actually really terrible at reading other people. They're just, we we are. We think, everyone thinks that they're a good judge of character. But the truth of the, the fact of the matter is, we're not. We're all terrible at it. And... I think in some ways it kind of takes a load off in terms of um, the way we interact with other people, because when we realize that we're actually terrible at understanding a person's machinations and intentions, then we're actually perhaps better, more inclined to be nicer to people because we're like, oh, you know, maybe I just really don't understand what the uh, motivations are for this kind of particular behavior. So maybe I should give them the benefit of the doubt. Or at least that's kind of one of the take-home messages I got from the book. I really recommend it. But the one I'm reading at the moment is David and Goliath. And I did want to mention David. So it's called that because of, um, it basically talks about how we um, view, well, the kind of whole situation. You know, so David and Goliath is a story of the shepherd who comes up against this war, a shepherd called David, who comes up go- against Goliath, who's this kind of a mighty warrior. It, and uh, this, as the st- story goes, David beats Goliath, even though David is a small shepherd's boy and Goliath is this kind of hulking, huge kind of warrior. David manages to defeat Goliath. And he talks, so in this book, it talks about how the, the kind of mindset of being the kind of underdog and how in some ways being an underdog conveys some advantages of course if the by very virtue of being an underdog of course that is a disadvantage right but i think it uh, it talks about the kind of the situation in itself and i just thought it was really interesting <laughs> from a medical standpoint because so goliath kind of comes out he's so i think it's supposed to be like a palestinian warrior i don't know why he mentions that in the book i'm not sure how relevant it is but anyway and he comes out and he's this hulking dude and he's like in art he's like this massive armor and he's got this person who's carrying his shield next to him which is unusual apparently for an infantry person apparently that's not but apparently they did that for archers but they didn't do that for infantry or whatever 
And I think the point of that is, is that that's a weakness. And so I think the kind of one of the points that uh, that perhaps is kind of not um, so often taken from that story is, is that the source of Goliath's power or strength is also kind of his weakness. So this, so he needs someone to carry the shield for him. And essentially this guy, so Goliath is massive because he had a pituitary tumor. He had acromegaly. And one of the things that he says to David when David approaches him is, oh, like a dog, you bring me sticks. Now, uh, David is likely to have had one stick. And he basically, he, it was actually a, like a slingshot and he kind of slung stones at him. But apparently the line whereby he says sticks is because it's probably because Goliath had double vision because he would have had bitemporal hemianopia. And, or, and, you know, just a visual defect from having a pituitary tumour. Oh, isn't this getting a bit educational? But anyway, the, and he was in this kind of heavy armour. And he said, come to me then with your sticks. Because obviously the way that he would have been used to fighting would have been close combat. He would have been amazing at fighting at close combat. Whereas David was a small, quick person who essentially decked him with um, rocks from, from afar and then cuts off his head when he kind of becomes um, becomes incapacitated. But it's just kind of a really interesting slant on how a, certain strengths can also be a source of kind of weakness. And I thought it was just kind of a really interesting play on a kind of trope and, you know, the story that we kind of use culturally, David and Goliath. It, it was always kind of in this kind of idea, you know, when we talk about football or kind of uh, sports or um, about a plucky kind of person playing the game, but somehow winning. Well, the David and Goliath story is about someone shifting the rules of the game to, to kind of their own strengths and using, um, you, well, you know, using the situation, the kind of established rules of engagement against them. It's amazing, really. It's a really good book, so I really recommend it. Definitely check it out. And one of the other things I wanted to talk about, oh my gosh, it's also not very medical. It's just me talking about myself, God. Um, is uh, so a show I'm watching at the moment, which is The American. So, I mean, I've binged through Stranger Things, which is awesome. I've watched all of Miss Marvel. I'm, you know, up to date on The Boys. One of the other shows that I really want to watch is um, Better Call Saul. I never got into that. I think because I found, I liked Breaking Bad, but it was kind of harrowing. And Better Call Saul, it kind of starts in that way. And I was like, oh, do I really want this in my life? But I, I feel like I will watch it because lots of people like it. But anyway, I'm watching The Americans, which is a show on Disney+. Plus. I really recommend it. Um, so the characters in it are just really, really interesting. So it's, so the story, it's about two, um, two Russian spies who basically move to the US, take up American identities. They have children and they're living the American dream, but they're working as spies for the KGB. And the entire time you feel kind of stressed because, you know, they're doing stuff where they can get found out. They kind of do, you know, spying, trying to kind of infiltrate various different kind of organizations or people getting close to them and finding out secrets. But it's so good. And I think one of the reasons it's so good is that whole spying thing is just a really small part of the story. Like it's a small bit of it. Really what it's about so, you know, th those two people, they're two Russian agents, a man and a woman. Um, interestingly, the man, Reece, I think he's a Matthew Reese. He's like a Welsh actor. Anyway, is that interesting? I don't know. Um, and the, so the, the man and the woman, they're both Russian spies and they were kind of paired together. But as a married couple, they weren't married in real life, you know, in, 
as Russian as Russian people, but they had to pretend to be a, a, a married couple, and how they kind of form feelings for each other. And I think one of the themes of the show really is about the different relationships they have, because it does kind of mimic married life in a way, because it kind of shows the changes in relationship in the relationship that happen that happen in your relationships. You know, like the various different phases, but they seem to do it in a kind of really funny order. And also what they, you know, part of what they do is kind of getting in with other people. So they do end up kind of like, you know, trying to seduce kind of um, people, but then they come back to each other. They, you know, so at one point, um, each member of that couple are seducing two different um, Americans to try and kind of find out some um, international secrets. And then they kind of go back, at the end of the day, they go back to their kind of family home and they kind of share their um, marital bed. And it's just kind of really, it's, it's a really interesting kind of take on relationships. And then you kind of see about their kind of trying to um, kind of uh, understand their children who are born in America. And, I th- and it's kind of, there's that interesting kind of perspective on immigrant life. It's really, really good. It runs for about five seasons and I'm or five or six seasons. I'm about four seasons in. It's really compelling. Um, I definitely, uh, it, it wasn't big, was it? But I definitely recommend it. It's really good. It's quite old now. It's like 10 years old. and But it was set in the past anyway. So I think it was set in around the time of the Cold War. So it's not quite so bad in terms of seeming super, super dated because it was set like a long time ago anyway. But I definitely recommend it. It's quite smutty. There's you know lots of sex, but it's... Um, I think the good thing about it is that the, the sexiness is spread between the man and the woman. So you see a bit, you know, you see male bums as well as female bums. So that's great. You know, bit of a mix. Um, cool. Um, I think that's pretty much all I wanted. To, I mean, I've been going for 40, 44 minutes. Obviously we'll cut this. Hopefully we'll, some of it will get cut down. Um, what else should I complain about? Oh, I complain about my back. My back hurts. Oh my God. Please people like, I mean, you know, I'm on my late thirties pushing 40 now. And you know, my your once your back goes, that's terrible. So um, stretch. So I, one of the reasons my back's gone is that um, I had a really, really busy and horrendous on call, man. Oh my God. It was so bad. It was so busy. Um, I think one of the issues that I have is that now, because I don't want to be like, don't want to be seen as obstructive. So I get so many referrals and I end up seeing so many of them, but it's horrendous. It takes so long. Right. And there was one patient I had to go see who's just really confused. And I was trying to do an echo on and I just didn't bother. And I should have bothered to, you know, set the bed right and you know make myself comfortable but in the end what I did was I was kind of like stood up and kind of arched over trying to do this echo on this person who's like wiggling around and just really hurt my back and uh now I'm like oh you know I hoped after my weekend on call today was going to be the day that I was going to go hit the gym and do some deadlifts but man it's sore and one really good bit of advice I got from uh an A&E reg who is stacked frankly he's absolutely stacked um, he was saying that, you know, when you use your back, you use kind of all of the muscles of your back. So you kind of use your hamstrings and your calves and stuff. So if they're all taut, if your kind of hamstrings and calves are taut, then that doesn't have, any, you don't give any flex to your back, so to, back at all. So stretching your, stretching your back is important, but also stretching your hamstrings and your calves, they kind of mean that there is a bit of flex so that there's a bit of give and it does make a massive difference. So today, well, that's what I've been doing. God, Wow. Um, 
you've really been in for a treat today. Well, thank you so much for listening to me, just rambling along. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. Oh my God. It's unlikely that this is going to be a regular thing. This is just to kind of pause some time. Thank you so much, you know, to, to everyone who kind of listens and kind of says, well, feed, feeds back anything positive and negative. It's, it's useful to kind of hear. Um, yeah. So thank you so much to all you guys. And um, yeah, take care. Don't worry. Normal service will be resumed. Me and Imran are still kind of besties. Uh, still love each other. So don't worry. There's lots of episodes to come where you'll be able to hear uh, me and Imran laugh at each other. So take care, everyone. And um, see you soon. Bye.